Hey everyone, and welcome to The Rational Republican, a podcast where we look at complex issues facing us here in Oregon and around the nation. We'll try to address issues from a nonpartisan perspective and view our disagreements through a lens of respect rather than tribalism or divisiveness. I'm James Ball. This is Nick Perlosky. Hey listeners, how we doing? Today's podcast is brought to you by ProLift Garage Doors. ProLift is your one-stop shop for residential and small commercial garage doors from openers, springs, and rollers to full reinstalls. They offer same-day service on all garage door repairs with no extra charge for evenings or weekends. Serving the greater Portland metro area, call today and set up your free estimate at 503-558-6349 or at proliftdoors.com slash Portland. Again, that's 503 558 6349 or slash portland On this episode of the podcast, we are welcoming back Mr. Alan Alley. Alan has been on the show a couple of times. Appreciate you coming back, Alan. Uh, Alan was former chairman of the Oregon Republican Party. He was a candidate for governor, candidate for state treasurer. So, and um, now frequent guest on Oregonians articles when they need someone to talk to and <laughs> yeah. K2 and <laughs> big so anyway, Alan, booster, big Taco Bell booster, huge yeah, Taco yeah. Bell booster. Right? <laughs> Alan, thanks so much for coming on the show. I didn't know you guys used the OPB voice on this show. <laughs> we have don't have. To, no, that's, that's, I, I guess that makes sense because this is the rational Republican. You're yes. not going to use the, right. So you oh. use the OPB voice. Although I just read an article by OPB that about the uh, ORP election and going with Senator Hurd, and uh, they were, I think, anything but rational in that particular their assessment of the situation. I I got to look at that. What did they What did they say? Um, basically that the Republican party, Oregon Republican Turning party to the is far right or something. Yeah, doubling down on extremism, and they went and talked oh. about some of his. Uh, work with, or uh, I don't know, work with, but sponsorship of the Citizens Against Tyranny group down in Southern Oregon that was doxing people for making uh, COVID claims or not COVID claims, but claims against businesses. So not, not, I mean, those, those were my concerns about Senator Hurd as well. Uh, But which and it's it's honestly that's kind of a good segue into why we're here because uh, Alan, we've recently been chatting with you about what the future of the Republican Party is like, and there's uh, there's a lot of media out there, especially here in Oregon, that that says you know the the impending civil war, and there's there's the party will bifurcate, and if it's the Patriot Party or if the moderates all just leave and you know join Rob Harris and the Oregon Independent Party or something like that, who knows and. Um, and it seems like you've had a different take. So I had to just start from kind of a 30,000 foot view. What's the future of the Republican Party? Yeah. So there's a couple of, of angles here. The, the standard media narrative is there's these horrible, disenfranchised Republicans that are um, akin to anarchists that are going to... Um, you know, basically burn down the establishment. And where I approach this is is from the standpoint of, okay, maybe that's true, right? Why did really good people get so angry and disenfranchised that they got to this point? Because the, the media sort of takes the assumption that these are just deplorables. You know, they're just clinging to their guns and Bibles and they're just horrible people and this is the ultimate embodiment of what horrible people do. Mm-hmm. And my point is, I know these people. I've worked with these people. Uh, they elected me chairman of their party when they were the activists in the party. I walked across the state with them. You know, I've broken bread with them. I've, I've been with them. And yes, they're angry and disenfranchised, but they're really good people. So my point is, what is it that's been happening that makes really good people act out this way and feel so frustrated and so disenfranchised that they feel that their only alternative is to lash out, to rebel, to, you know, embrace anarchist type um, things. And generally the media goes, yeah, yeah, I don't want to talk about that. (laughs) What I want to talk about is how terrible they are. And it's been it's been 
eye-opening and frustrating for me at the same time. You know, I was having a discussion with a guy on Reddit just the last couple of days about and brought, I, I know that's how a many good, good, good stories to, start with. Yeah, I was talking to a guy with, on Reddit. Yeah, came, I was talking to his, his Reddit addiction. I was anyway. in my basement. <laughs> in my mom's basement. Talking in my to mom's basement Reddit. talking on Reddit. Right. Right. Um, no, and I brought up the basket of deplor- basket of deplorables comment that Hillary made back in the. 2016 elections. So, I mean, this is five-year-old quote, but I was I was coming at it as this is the way that the liberals, the Democratic Party looks at rural communities. And I know she was talking about Trump supporters, but if you look at the full quote, it basically says like, ha- she's saying half of Trump supporters are this basket of deplorables, they're racist, homophobes, whatever. And the guy I was arguing with, the kind of dismissed it. He's like, it's a five-year-old quote. It doesn't, you know, set off the cuff, whatever. And I said, no, it's it's important because this is the way Democrats see Trump supporters. This is the way that they see rural communities is half of them are racists, homophobes, whatever. And what do you do with racists? You ignore them because their opinions are are bad opinions they're bad people and they deserve to be ignored and when and hillary specifically said half the republican party essentially or half of trump supporters are in this basket of deplorable so that's a, a quarter of the country when you think that and maybe she was being hyperbolic or whatever but still when your opinion or the opinion of your party or your party's leadership thinks that a quarter or a significant minority of the country feels this way and deserves to be pushed aside and ignored that that those people tend to lash out and and it's so far from sort of the way that i think that i would never uh think anybody was a deplorable And, and and imagine if it was reversed imagine if republicans referred to certain segments of the democratic uh, base as deplorables. They, they would come completely unhinged, right? Well, so I'll, I'll, I'll push back a little bit. We come pretty close when talking about Antifa or Black Lives Matter or those folks. Um, we, we're pretty, pretty nasty about those, about those people. And some of it deserved, some of it not probably, but... Well, I think honestly, I think that's kind of a good point because I to to kind of take the other side of of what Hillary Clinton was kind of implying with her quote there. So th- there are malevolent elements of the Republican Party. There are racists. There are people who are hom- homophobic, and I, I think it is un- incumbent on us, on all three of us, rational Republicans, shameless plug, to <laughs> to call that out where we see it, just as we would call it out on the very far left, on the people who are yeah. similarly, you know, racist, sexist, you know anti-Semitic. There's all kinds of characters over there, all kinds of characters over there. But for me, the fact that Hillary Clinton says it's half the Republican Party, I'll put it at, you know, one or two percent of the Republican Party. We can I would say probably less than that. There you go. We can argue about the numbers. But the the both in 2016 and in 2020, uh, somewhere between 50 percent and 99 percent of the Republican Party, who is good, honest, decent people, wonderful people, whatever, still chose to vote for Donald Trump instead of the Democrats. And in my mind, it's because they push a far left agenda. Their candidates were woefully out of touch with everyday people. And I, you know, what does that say? If if there's these, there's people whose votes you're trying to get and they voted for Donald Trump instead of you. Like what, what does that say about well, Joe Biden and Hillary Clinton? Well, it's pretty, right. And it's pretty simple. It's, you can either accept that good people vote for a guy that has obvious flaws, massive obvious flaws. Um, in, and that says that your candidates are so horrible that good people are voting <laughs> for this other guy, right? One of the things that I, that I used to say to my Democratic friends, and it would, it would kind of short circuit them, is look, in 2016, Republicans nominated Donald Trump, no question about it, right? Mm-hmm. In 2016, Democrats elected Donald Trump, though. It was Democrats in blue states that were so disenfranchised by the policies in those blue states that they crossed over and voted for Donald Trump. So not only was it Republicans voting for Donald it was your base. It was Democratic Union-based people 
that crossed over in 2016 and voted for Donald Trump. What does that say about your policies? And did you change anything fundamentally to address their grievances between 2016 and 2020? I think the answer is no. They just doubled down. Doubled down. Yeah. Yeah. And I think, uh, Alan, you and I have talked about this a lot, but it's a lot of it is the white working class. Poor white people who used to vote lockstep with the Democratic Party have been abandoned by the party. And so they are looking for a new home. And it's interesting. I And maybe this is a too broad a generalization, but it seems like conservatives, those on our side of the aisle, look at actions more than they look at words. And Democrats or on the other side of the aisle kind of do the opposite. They look at what people say less than what they do. And this is kind of the with the rub of Trump. And this is just a theory that's been floating around my my brain for a little while. So it could be way off. But whenever I talk to a Trump supporter, they always say, look at what he did. Look at he prevented us from going to war with North Korea. He got NATO to start paying their fair share. He cut taxes. He built a wall. He did all these things he said he was going to do. And who cares what he says on Twitter? Whereas when I talk to Democrats, all they want to, or non-Trump supporters, all they want to talk about is the tweets and the things that he said rather than the things that he, that he did. So briefly, Jimbo, to that point, just to, to, we're recording this on March 3rd, just today, there were two separate things that I had uh, come across. Tess Risky in Willamette Week had an article about how many different weed shops here in Portland have been robbed since this summer and made a point to note that there are now about a hundred or so police officers since the summer riots started have retired from the force and not to mention all the money that's been cut from them. And it's not necessarily a coincidence that as there's so many fewer cops, all these stores are getting robbed and knocked over. And there was a guy who died who got shot by criminals in December. Uh, And there was, there was another article that talked about how, the the messaging of defund the police may have seriously hurt Democratic candidates, most among non-white voters. So there's mm. all, there's all kinds of white right. woke activists who are saying defund the police. This is bad, you know, whatever. And it's it's the people who are, you know, small business owners, active community members, whatever. They're the ones that are getting hurt by there being fewer police. They're the ones that had a problem with that because that, for me, how do you square the circle of Joe Biden winning 81 million votes, but Republicans? holding a lot of seats in the Senate that they probably shouldn't have had have won in 2020 and actually picking up seats in Congress. And I feel like stuff like that is why people look at actions when they're voting. Democrats look at words. Yeah. Well, and this and, is the, sorry, go ahead, Alan. Well, we were talking about uh, Trump's performance in 2020. He actually did worse with white men by 1% in 2020. But he did better with white women, black men, black women, Hispanic men. And I'm talking three to seven points better, not insignificantly better. Hispanic women, uh, Asian and other uh, minorities. And so the media, I think almost universally, you could find referred to Trump as a racist, Mm -hmm. a misogynist, a racist. So the guy that they refer to as a misogynist did three points better with white women and five points better with black women. The guy that they just <laughs> said was a racist did six points better with black men, four points better with Hispanics and seven points better with Asian and other minorities. And it's like, what's going on? Right. That's interesting. That's that a fair you, question. The media is telling you, is bombarding you with this message. Yet the voters voted completely the opposite of what the media is saying. And I think there is a macro trend that's going on where the Republican Party and we have a bunch of friends that have left the Republican Party and they're kind of big tech, big business, downtown Portland Republicans. And they're being replaced by first generation Americans, minorities that that are here and they're starting to become involved in that great quest of self-destiny for the American dream. They're starting small businesses and they're making a little bit of money and they're they're aspiring to buy that F-150, right? And yeah. and that was, that's looking pretty good. And and that they can they can see that they have there's a chance 
that they're going to have this upward mobility that they came here for. And the Democrats, the rhetoric does not support that at all. It, it's, in fact, in that, um, that math thing that just came out, this new way of teaching math about white supremacy and math education, mm-hmm. the Democrats are equating capitalism with imperialism and racism. And if I'm a first generation American, and I'm I'm like getting on the train, you know, it's leaving the station and it's like, hey, this is beginning to work for me. And I hear that. I will never vote for you. So, so first uh, off. Oh, so, I'm sorry. Go ahead. No, I'm, I, I was going to say, first off, as the son of a guy who worked for Ford, I appreciate the F-150 plug. I, I think you also worked for Ford <laughs> mm-hmm. for a, a number of years. So that's that's I did. I, there we go. That's solid. But I, I second <laughs> off. That this definitely gets to the point that I kind of want to um, explore, get into a little bit, because I think they're explore another Ford car. Shameless plug. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> Just, right. they should give us money or something. Oh, Can we goodness. get them as address? Um, but they there is a there's a number of uh, of different communities of different interest groups that for all the doom and gloom about, you know, the Republicans are entering the dark ages and there's an impending civil war. There are a, a number of, of individuals and communities me. here in the country, here in the United States that are looking around and say, the Democrats left me. I have, right. I have nowhere else to turn. I, I, I came to this country because I wanted to be a successful business owner. I'm, you know, I, I want my taxes to be lower. I don't really, I don't care if you're gay or straight or who you want to marry, but I do care that what, you know, my, what my property tax bill looks like every month in yeah. Multnomah hikes it every time they get a chance to. And there's people that are looking around and they were here to four Democrats, but there's no alternative anymore. And I think there's a lot of different work that we as Republicans can do not, and not even in terms of changing our policies on things, not even saying, Oh, we should be, you know, just abandon anything having to do with abortion. We should just be a hundred percent pro-choice. Just forget anybody that cares about people still sticking to our planks and our philosophies and what matters to us as conservatives, but communicating it away in such that we are able to get a lot of new voters and a lot of interest from people who wouldn't have otherwise given the Republican party a second look. Well, one of the things that I keep saying is we keep giving them a reason not to vote for us. And one of the big things this past, uh, well, now a month and a half ago, is that statement by the Republican Party of the, the ORP about the January 6th attack being a false flag attack and just going down these con- these rabbit holes of um, conspiracy theory. And as long as people see that and that's what makes the news and it will because that's what the media does is they take all of the craziest parts of what the republicans do and they they put it on blast and that that just i feel like these people who have been left behind by the democratic party they're going non-affiliated because the republican party is so crazy here in oregon and it just it's frustrating because we're we're doing it to ourselves you know, we have all the best ideas. We have that we are better at management. We have, <laughs> we're going to allow people to buy that F 150. Like that, that's what the Republican Ford, Party stands for. Um, <laughs> but they, we give them reasons not to vote for us. You know, we, I think, we, they don't want to be associated with people who make these statements. I think another thing that, um, a slightly different tangent, but another thing that we don't understand is, how uh, first and second generation people uh, perceive rhetoric and perceive speech that um, my grandfathers who came here from Italy and Syria, they almost didn't really speak English. I mean, they did kind of, but not, not, not with the subtlety that, that you and I speak it and Mm -hmm. the nuance. So, when my grandfather, I'm, I'm projecting, if my grandfathers heard Donald Trump speak, the things that, that the media picks up that are so offensive, they wouldn't, they wouldn't perceive it. It, it. They would just hear a guy that speaks in uh, terms that they understand because the vocabulary is, is simplified, right? Mm-hmm. And that he is a, strong, dynamic speaker, forceful, right? That's what they would pick up on. And when I would do business in Asia, I realized that 
a lot of the jargon that we use and we don't even understand that we're using it and a lot of the the clues and inflection and things that we use in our language they don't understand it so hmm. you develop a uh, reduced instruction set so to speak a, a, a smaller <laughs> simpler vocabulary you listen to the english words that they say to you and you use those words back because they they understand those words. You know, in English, we have a thousand different ways to say something. You slow down and enunciate and speak very distinctly. But I, I think a lot of people, not only do they not infer the negative aspects when Trump speaks, but they, but they view it as positive. They view it as dynamic and forceful. And, and that's the way I want my leader to speak. Right. And. I'm just, and all I'm saying is, is that we need to keep an open mind and we need to not jump to conclusions about the way other people think just because it's the way we think, mm -hmm. right? Um, and be very, very thoughtful and inquisitive and open. And that's, that's what I want us to be, right? Not mm -hmm. closed minded, not it has to be this way. The Republican Party can have a massive tent. If if you are interested interested in smaller, more limited government, freedom and self destiny, right? Giddy up, come on, get on board. And then we're going to have people that are that are interested in environmental issues or life issues or whatever. It's like fine, great, you know that's good. But if you want smaller, more limited government, freedom, self destiny, the American, you know. Giddy up, join up. I think the three of us um, can agree on that, <laughs> that that's what the Republican Party should be. I feel like there are enough factions within the Republican Party where, um, for example, some of my uh, some of my family, some of my extended family um, are single issue voters when it comes to uh, abortion. Mm -hmm. That's it. They, their view of the Republican Party is not limit i mean it is limited government freedom all of those things but first and foremost it is pro-life and I, I i i don't know it's it's interesting dealing you know as i get more involved in the party i start running into different flavors of republicans and i'm not sure how to really interact with those with those type of people i mean the, the anti-vax crowd is is very similar where that's the thing that they are in the party for and i my i mean my view of the republican party is many things but predominantly freedom and limited government yeah. and whatnot but um i don't what, think you you exclude people because they're no. a single issue voter right no and no no not at all on the democratic side the single indicator of voting Democratic is um, choice on, on the abortion issue. It is mm -hmm. the greatest indicator that they have. And I will get these numbers wrong, so please forgive me, but it's worth throwing them out there and then having people explore and prove me wrong. But um, it's something on the order of 40% of women um, have had an abortion. Hmm. And Virtually a hundred percent of those women vote with the Democrats. Yeah. And so it's a huge issue. It is a, it is a life defining issue. When I ran for office, my, my position on abortion was, um, I believe life begins at conception. Women have the right to choose, which is exactly my position. A Democratic woman came up to me after I said that, and she said, you believe I killed my baby. In your heart, you believe I killed my child. I could never vote for you. And I will work with all of my might to make sure the child. We have to understand those issues and not just not just say, oh, life, you know, whatever, right? right? And I actually don't have a good answer. I really don't. Because, mm -hmm. and that's why, 
that's why the democratic position of it's your choice. It's completely your choice. No, <laughs> get the government yeah. out of it. It's your choice. Um, there's a there's a Rick and Morty episode that comes to mind where the the it's it's worth watching if you if our audience is unfamiliar, but. <laughs> Basically, one of the characters gets the chance to 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 relive different experiences over and over. And so he can go off in one experience and and go off and shoot somebody and then reset himself back to where he was as if it never happened, thinking that there's been no consequences. And the twist at the end of the episode is the, there were consequences. He just switched to a different universe in the multiverse every time. And so now he's stuck with all these consequences of, of what he had done. And that's to that's almost what like the what the democrats are trying to think is that it's totally your choice doesn't matter you just you choose whatever it is that you want there to be and i will i'm sure we'll get some letters for that one but that's it's a it's a it's a fun thought experiment of what it what it looks like when you when you actually think that there are no consequences but i'd be curious for your thoughts because i'm i see that we have got this you know, there are never Trumpers, if for lack of a better term. There's never Trumpers like me and James, people who did not vote for Donald Trump. And if he runs again in 2024, are not going to vote for Donald Trump. And then there's a large swath of the Republican Party that did vote for Donald Trump. He's still, even after January 6th, he's got approval ratings in the 70s among Republicans. Uh, and he would walk to the primary nomination. And here in Oregon, we've got Somebody like Dallas Hurd, who is a, you know, very far, very, you know, conservative, he's a conservative guy. And then there are the the House Republican caucus that had condemned the ORP statement. So it's it, there's almost like a divide there. And I'm uh, Alan and I honestly and James as well. I'm curious for your thoughts as to how how people on, you know, on the two separate sides of, of Republicanism, how we work to kind of prove the OPB types of the world wrong and make sure that we don't get to the point where we're at the civil war, where we, we can put the party back together and we can kind of come out swinging with a message where we are able to say, Hey, you person X, Y, Z, who's never considered voting for a Republican before we have ideas worth looking at. Why? Well, I think uh, you know it, it gets back to the smaller, more limited government, personal freedom and liberty and self-destiny, you know, that I think that's really the the core of the message. Now, um, we're going to have uh, uh, Mitt Romney even said, hey, if Trump ran again uh, four years from now, he'd win the election. And I was watching the interview and the guy was incredulous. The, the you know, liberal reporter was like, oh, come on, you got to be. And Romney's like, He's a skilled, gifted. I've looked at the numbers. Nobody could beat him right now. And um, and I keep going back to the media defaults to these are horrible people that support this person. What I go back to is the people that I know that are that are adamant Trump supporters are almost universally, not only good people, they're great people. They are salt of the earth, rock solid, pillars of the community people. They're the people that are building businesses and they're the people that are working in the forest and they're, they're people that are, that are doing the jobs. They are the small business people. Yet they are supporting a guy that is about as unpresidential as you could be using any historical metric for what somebody is as a president, right? The, um, the thing I so could why think. are they? What I keep getting back to is how did we screw it up so bad? How did we screw it up to the point that rock solid good people are that angry and disenfranchised? And oh, by the way, the first several months of the Biden administration. They're not only doubling down, they're trebling down on exactly the policies and, and acting in a way that makes those people just furious. And the media is just pouring coal on the fire. 
Have you guys okay. seen the um, the the you know Donald Trump kept kids in cages, and Joe Biden is welcoming migrant children to <laughs> detention facility? You know, to whatever they them- put some fun, nice term on it, but right. the same exact thing is happening. Right. <laughs> I I put a, posted on our private Facebook group. There was a there's a Twitter account that was has Joe Biden released kids from cages at the border was the title of it. It had one tweet, no. And Twitter suspended it. Twitter suspended the account for one tweet of no from this this novelty account. Unreal. Unreal. No, and, anyway. and that's just it, is that they're making it worse by, yeah. by arbitrarily saying, no, you can't speak. I was, I, I was thinking of, of posting some things just to see if I get canceled. <laughs> you know, like, like for example, CO2 from, from humans. I actually did this in front of the Sierra Club. We were debating uh, Kitzhaber and Bradbury. We got to ask them a question. And I said, okay, guys, I get to ask you a question. CO2 emissions from humans breathing, from cows breathing, and from all the cars in the United States. What's number one? What's number two? What's number three? And they said, well, I don't, I don't know. I said, okay, the biggest emitter of all those three are cows breathing. Hmm. Number two got is, is humans breathing. And number three is all the cars in the United States. Well, that's why the and, Green New Deal wants to ban cows. I'm, right. Like, that's true. And that's, that's, that's tongue, exactly. Tongue in cheek. Exactly, that's, no, exactly that's exactly it. what Bill Bradbury said. Yeah. And I said, Bill, you know what? You're absolutely right. But we have to binge eat all the cows first. <laughs> we have to wipe them off the planet, right? And eat your heart but, out, vegans. <laughs> but even something like that, where it's just data, and you know, I just did the calculation, and and I said, how can you want to regulate CO two and create all this regulatory environment when you don't even understand what are the sources? What are the magnitudes of the sources and how are those how are those sources and how are those magnitudes of the sources related to each other? And this is yeah, going going back to the um I mean the the Paris climate deal, you know, that Biden has now rejoined that Trump famously uh got us out of. Um it's it, it gives so the biggest polluters in the in the world are China and India. You know, not not by capita, but they have a lot of people, and so so by by actual volume, China and India. It's the green the Paris Climate Agreement, if I'm not mistaken, gives them like 30 or 40 years to bring to start bringing down their climate emissions. Meanwhile, the United States has to start immediately, and we have like, and also it's non-binding. So if they break it, there's no penalty, there's no nothing. It's just kind of like this virtue signaling agreement. It's like if climate change becomes unsustainable and irreversible in 10 years, why the heck are we giving China 40 years to fix it? The, the biggest polluter. Why are we giving them that much time? Like it, it's irreversible. It's, it, it's done at that point. Because and so, it, because it isn't right. 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 Because they don't understand it's where, or, or they choose not to acknowledge where it's coming from, where, where the sources are. And look, you know, I, again, at the same meeting, I said, look, I think digging black stuff out of the ground and combusting it in the atmosphere is beyond my imagination crude. It's embarrassing that as a mechanical engineer, that's the best idea I could come up with. Right. Right. Hey, I got an idea. We have this old crappy black stuff that's burgling out of the ground. Let's take it and let's burn it. That'd be, that'd be good. <laughs> that makes a lot of sense. And we'll burn like lots of it. Right. No, the only reason we did it is we didn't think there was an environmental impact, a serious environmental impact, and it was unbelievably cheap. You know, it, for example, yeah. if you think about a car, if I have a 5,000 pound car and there's just me in it, like 96% of the energy goes into moving the car and 4% goes into moving me. That's, that's crazy. That, that you design a system that's that <laughs> massively inefficient, right? And, yeah. and 
So it's going to change. And it's not going to change because regulations and everything else. It's going to change because there are more efficient, cost-effective ways of doing this. And markets will move to those positions and people will move to buy those products. So been my stance since forever is, yeah, it, the, yeah, the government pushing things like solar and wind is, yeah, it's not going to change people's behavior. And solar and wind is specifically do not, um, they, they, they're, they're not consistent. You know, if the wind doesn't blow or the, it's cloudy out, those don't work quite as well. And so you need these giant storage systems, which, you know, you rare earth metals to, to buy the batteries, to build the batteries that are going to support this. And it's just this, this huge mess. The best thing we can expect from solar or wind is to supplement something else. And right now that something else is, is fossil fuels. But this is something I've, uh, Alan, I've talked about this before a lot, but nuclear power. Nuclear power is the answer to this. That is, it is. it is sustainable. It is green. It is safe and it is consistent. You don't need to rely on wind or the, the cloudy day or nighttime or anything else. Nuclear is the answer so to climate change. That's, that's too funny because that's exactly where I was going to go with this. Yeah. I, Jimbo, I know, <laughs> gives me a hard time because on literally about half of our podcasts, I brought up the, the TV show Chernobyl, which if you guys haven't watched on HBO, <laughs> oh, it's yeah. fantastic. But now... As of yesterday, I just I had a gift card on Amazon and I bought the book Midnight in Chernobyl. So as of yesterday, I finished the books and I and I can plug the book Midnight in Chernobyl. And you can go and learn even more about nuclear power. But yeah, <laughs> that's that's the exact right answer, that's Jimbo. The answer. We've got and to to the extent that this plays into public policy. There's, I mean, nobody really is the party of nuclear power at, at this point in, you know, 2021 in the United States. But to the extent that there is, I mean, if you have to pick one, it's the Republican Party. Yes. And if you are if you are serious about reducing greenhouse gas emissions, if you are serious about not letting something like Texas happen again, if you're serious about getting people energy independence, nuclear power is the way to go. And we've had three semi-serious nuclear accidents in history that have caused the lives of, you know, a couple hundred to 10, 20, 50,000 people, which pales in comparison to the lives that have been lost to due to fossil fuels and pollutants in the atmosphere and all of the I, looming effects I would, of climate I would even change. Say, I would even say that those are not even really, the, I don't know, you say, you say three incidents and people immediately think about the worst thing that could happen. I think it's better messaging to just say all of that was happened with 1950s Soviet technology. Like, well, we have been here, running it was an hour away from where my dad went to college and one well, was in Japan, okay. which is one of the most advanced facilities in the world. But I don't think yeah, they but, were. Yeah, but it was, it was old technology. I mean, the, well, the I don't think it was old technology. I think it was it's like it's it's super, you know, rare once in a lifetime events that lead to a, a tsunami. And, you know, I probably next time maybe don't build a nuclear power reactor somewhere off the coast <laughs> in Fukushima. But. I think the the point remains that it's it's far safer, it's far more economical, it's far greener. And Republicans, that's the type of message of well, a policy that Republicans can get out in front of and start, you know, anyway, you, really you can, well, the is, point I was trying to make is that you can you can build nuclear power plants where the result or the the probability of meltdown is zero where they just they don't melt down that because we can we the technology has progressed to this point yes. we've been running submarines and aircraft carriers on nuclear power for decades with zero incidents it's just a matter of not using outdated technology keeping up to date on your safety standards and they are perfectly safe there is so, no, there is no possibility of meltdown so here's the other dirty little secret about this whole thing so if you listen to AOC many of the democrats literally uh, the world as we know it is going to end in 10 years, right? From CO2 emissions from humans. If that's actually true, then we can absolutely solve it with nuclear energy within that 10-year time horizon. Yep. So either it's not true or you don't want to solve it. Because, yeah. I mean... It literally, if this is an asteroid that's going to hit the Earth and split us in two in 10 years and you see it coming and all we have to do is build nuclear plants with today's <laughs> technology to prevent the asteroid from hitting the Earth and splitting it in half, we should build the nuclear plants. But they won't do it. 
So, so by their own admission, it's there. It's not true. It cannot be true or they, or they would, they would support it. I was going to say, I could not agree with you more on that. I, I think nuclear power is a wonderful example of something at a national level that Republicans can get behind and really be at the be at the forefront of as we go and continue in, in, in this debate into even the future. At a state level, even at an Oregon level, we can make it. It's it's illegal here. Well, we don't have any. Spoiler alert, you're ruining the question I'm about to ask. Oh, so, I, Alan, I was going to say, so what is something at an Oregon level? What is something that we as Oregon Republicans can get in front of and can do to try to to stem the tide of all of the losses at at the governor level, state treasurer, secretary of state, state house, state senate, at all the levels that we've seen where there's hardly any Republicans that ever have a chance of being elected. What are some of the policies that we can policies that we can talk about here in Oregon to try to win elections again? So on energy, let me give you an example. I have a friend that is building the largest, trying to build the largest solar facility in Oregon. And he's been working on it for five years, probably it will take two or three more years before he can break ground. Uh, none of it is on state or federal land because you can't get through a permitting mm. process to put it on state or federal land. It's all on private land. And he had to go around and cut deals with private landowners all over this area, gerrymander the whole thing, put it all together. And then go through the approval process and go through the migrating elk process and the uh, Native American artifact process and, you know, the uh, water process and watershed. Pro and literally, it will take seven years before he ever breaks ground on a solar facility in Oregon. Jeez. Hmm. And that is beyond my imagination. And. What it further points to is this must not be that big of a problem, right? It, it, their actions are, and, and there was an article in the Willamette Week where they had a, a young guy on that was an Antifa guy. And his whole thing was, you're telling me the world is coming to an end in 10 years. You're telling me that racism is rampant in the United States and black people are persecuted and held in chains and, and held down. And, and, and then you don't do anything about it. Yes. I'm angry. Right. Yes. I'm writing the, I don't know if you, if you heard yourself, you told me the world is ending in 10 years and you're not doing anything about it. I think that young man is going to find out in a couple of years that he was lied to. Yes. And I wonder if, <clears throat> yeah, all these people who are downtown protesting for all these things, the AOCs of the world, well, probably not AOC because she's going to be a president by then, but uh, <laughs> the rest of them, they're going to they're gonna realize they've been lied to. And if, the, if we as a Republican Party can capture those folks, you know, that we can we can win. If we can say, hey, look, the Democrats were trying to push an agenda. They lied to you. If we can, if we can avoid giving them reasons not to vote for us, like just our, the whole conspiracy theory thing, all all of the the you know awful things that Trump has said, and and all those things, if we can if we can get beyond that and focus on individual liberty, limited government, freedom, capitalism, the power of the individual, I I think that I think that that. Sorry, no, <laughs> this is supposed to be, we're asking Alan these questions and here I am. No, just, you might be onto something. It, that, <laughs> the, the, fundamental, the fundamental thing is, look, I'm not going to lie to you. Yeah. Right. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to tell you the truth, whether it's on the public employee retirement system, whether it's on energy, whether it's on CO2, whether it's on my position on life, you know, whatever it is, I am not going to lie to you. I am going to play it straight down the middle. Hmm. And the, the funny thing is um, several states now are, quote, unmasking. I think Texas was one. Texas uh, Mississippi that, yeah. was another one. And what the media is and Joe Biden is saying, this is reckless. This is ridiculous. And what the governors are saying is, look, I'm not telling you don't wear a mask and take grandma who's recovering from cancer to a football game. Right. I'm telling you. 
businesses and people, I trust that you're going to make good judgments. And I'm going to give you the data. This is what Christine Ohm says in South Carolina. I'm going to give you the data and the information. You're going to have all the information that I have. And then I want you to make good judgments. And then there will be advantages to that. And there will be disadvantages to that. But I think we are now in a position where there's enough information that you can make those decisions. And I trust you and I believe in you. And Americans are, are going to make good decisions as opposed to what the, what the Democrats are doing is you can't make any decision. It really is the difference um, between being a, uh, what do you call it when, a, uh, when you have a king and you live in the kingdom? You are a, uh, a peasant, a peon. No, uh, it's something like that. You are a, a fiefdom. No a surf. No, something like that. But it's great radio. <laughs> it, it's yeah, it's terrible radio. <laughs> but it's 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 the difference between there's there's a king and there are his people. Subjects. Subjects. There you go. It's the difference between being a subject and being a citizen. Right? Yeah, and it's that it's that quote from Reagan that that we are citizens who have a government, not a government that has subjects, yeah. right? And mm -hmm. the Democrats are turning us, are, their actions are to turn us into government with a bunch of subjects where the government knows what's best, and then we just do whatever the government says, and it that's not it. Yeah, it, it, we're completely upside down. So, and I, I, Christy Noem in South Dakota, who may be in South Carolina in 2024, if she decides to run, I think she'd be a very, I think she'd be a very viable candidate. It's, it's funny that you mentioned the unmasking in Texas to, because I, as a person who's lived in Texas for 10 years and I, you know, still see all the news on Twitter and stuff, all of the businesses that I see are still saying, we are going to require that you wear masks if you want to come, you know, drink at this bar or eat at this restaurant. And that's as conservatives, this is exactly what we should be celebrating. We don't need the governor. We don't need Greg Abbott to come out and say, hey, you should be wearing masks. If we feel that that's something that's appropriate, we're going to go ahead and do that. If you as a restaurant owner want to ensure that you keep your staff safe and your servers and your cooks and everything, then keep the mask right. mandate on. That's you knock yourself out. God bless you. Yeah. And I think that that is the, to Alan's point, that's the difference in viewpoint from left wing versus right wing. Left wing says, believes that if Greg Abbott says, I'm removing the mask mandate, that everyone is all of a sudden going to take off all their masks, that that is licensed to right. take off their masks and just do whatever you want. When the reality is, if you are a conservative, if you're on the right side of the aisle, you see that for what it is, which is exactly what you said. It is the, you have all the information, you can make your own choices. So we need to wrap up. Uh, one of the things we like to do before we end the podcast is ask our guest um, who their favorite Republican is. And so, Alan, you've been on the show. I believe this is your third time. So yeah. who's your third um, favorite Republican? Who's your third favorite Republican? <laughs> well, I don't know. I think I probably said Ronald Reagan the other two times. Um, it, you know, when I think about it, he's not a Republican anymore. Um, because when he became president at Purdue, he switched to be non-affiliated just because of the position. Mitch Daniels. Held. Mitch Daniels. Hmm. So um, Mitch Daniels was governor of Indiana. He had worked for Eli Lilly, I think it was. Um, he ran the office management and budget for Bush. Uh, he now has been president at Purdue for the last I think it's nine years now, uh, Purdue has held tuition flat, hmm. no tuition increases, not in inflated dollars, but like same in dollars. dollars. And in fact, it's gotten less expensive to attend Purdue because room and board and fees have been cut over that period of time. So it's cheaper to go to Purdue now in, in today's dollars, not in inflated dollars, in the same dollars as it was nine years ago. Wow. And if you go on the Purdue website, he's kept Purdue open through the whole COVID thing. And his whole thing was, look, there is nearly 0% chance that my 18, 19, and 20-year-olds are going to get seriously ill, even if they get infected. So I owe it to those kids 
to keep this institution open, to give them the opportunity to come on campus and, and learn. And he's kept it open. And he said to some of the older um, professors, look, I understand if you don't want to put yourself at risk and I will come up, we will develop ways for you to do remote teaching, to be distanced from the kids or whatever. If you want to engage more with the kids, we'll do that. They all wear masks. They socially distance. They do all these things. But you go on the Purdue website. It's the only place where they track severity of cases mm. from anything that I've seen and severity of case by age. It's it's he's done a phenomenal job and he's been a great guy. Uh, a great resource for me and somebody to lean on and uh, somebody that I'd love to, to emulate. And, you know, to, to your point, he is a straight shooter. Mm. Mitch Daniels does not sugarcoat anything. He, he tells you like it is, he's thoughtful. He'll back up what he uh, believes with data that he's accumulated. If you disagree with him, he'll debate you. He'll probably win. <laughs> <laughs> But uh, I'd have to say Mitch is my favorite. Well, so first off, let's get him on this podcast. Second off, (laughs) go Boilermakers. Neil Armstrong is an alum, except for in early September, they're going to play Oregon State. And I I hope they lose their their socks. That's going to be that's going to be a rough game for the Boilermakers. You don't have a little reason anymore. I'm a little conflicted. My dad attended Oregon State for a while and uh, graduated and graduated from Michigan. So it's uh, hey, go Blue. uh, I'll be com- I'll be conflicted that day, but uh, that'll be yeah. the the Beavers' <laughs> third win of their you know three and nine could, season. It could so. be. Could Jimbo, be. how how did the Civil War go last year? I don't. Did you watch? I don't. That game? I don't remember. <laughs> Gone the last decade. <laughs> the Beavers right. won. We Listeners, we, we the need Beavers to. Win. <laughs> we we need to let you go. Um, okay, Alan. Thank thank you so much for coming on the show, and uh, listeners, we'll talk to you next time. Thanks for listening to the Rational Republican Podcast. Your hosts are James Ball and Nick Perlosky. The show today is brought to you by ProLift Garage Doors of Portland, serving the greater Portland metro area for all your garage door installation and repair needs. If you'd like to get in touch with the show, you can email us at james at jamesaball.com or follow us on Facebook, Twitter, or Instagram. You can find our episodes at jamesaball.com, Apple Podcasts, Google Play, or wherever you find your podcasts.